At our wedding ceremony back in 2001, and some of you may have actually been there, Sakiko and I stood before my mentor, Leighton Ford, who was officiating the ceremony. And during his homily, Leighton asked us this question. Will you each morning ask yourselves, what will I wear today? Leighton wasn't inviting us to literally stand in front of our dresser or before our closet and ask ourselves, hmm, what shirt or what top will I wear or what pants or what dress will I wear? Leighton instead was alluding to the words of Colossians 3.12, where Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. May the Spirit of the living God speak to us through this, his inspired word today. Leighton was asking us to get up each morning and ask, what will I wear today? Will I wear the clothes of Christ's character? Will I wear the clothes of Christ's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and love? As Leighton continued on to verses 13 and 14, he asked us, will you wear the clothes of Christ's love and forgiveness. And then at the end of his homily, Leighton said, at the end of the day, ask yourselves, have I worn the right clothes today? Did I wear the clothes of Christ? Now, it sounds simple enough to wear the clothes of compassion, kindness, and love, but in the reality of our actual lives, this can be really challenging. The late Bell Hooks, the professor and social critic, in her book, All About Love, wrote these words. Everywhere we learn that love is important, and yet we are bombarded by its failure in the realm of the political, among the religious, in our families, and in our romantic lives. We see little indication that love informs decisions, strengthens our understanding of community, or keeps us together. This bleak picture in no way alters the nature of our longing. We still hope that love will prevail. We still believe in love's promise. Bell Hooks wrote, Everywhere we learn that love is, is important, and yet we are bombarded by its failure. Not long after listening to Leighton's words about wearing Christ's clothes of love, Sakiko and I headed off to England, where we were about to begin what was supposed to be a combination of a honeymoon and the beginning of my PhD studies. A really bad combination, at least for us. I ended up spending way too much time in the university library. 
And this particular library happened to contain England's most treasured and historic books and documents. And so unless you were a student at the university, you couldn't enter into the library. And even if you were a student, you, couldn't, you, could, you could read the books in the library, but you couldn't take books out of the library. So I ended up spending way too much time in this library, which meant I was spending way too much time apart from Sakiko. And in my eager overambition to get a fast jump on this graduate degree, I was not wearing the clothes of Christ's compassion, kindness, humility, and love. And I regret that. How do we become people who in our own lives are not bombarded by love's failure, but actually learn to wear the clothes of Christ's love? How do we become people who bring Christ's love, who wear his clothes, who bring something of heaven, something of God's loving presence into our relationships, into our families, our schools, our workplaces, and our communities. When the Apostle Paul, in verse 12, speaks of wearing Christ's clothes of love, this verse is situated downstream from a famous verse, Colossians 3.1, and it's fed by that verse, or the reality that that verse points to, where the Apostle Paul writes, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, that is, on heavenly things, on realities of God, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul would say, if you in your own lives don't want to be bombarded by your own failures of love, if you want to grow into a person who can easily wear Christ's clothes of love and compassion, then join your life to Christ. And as you do that, through the work of the Holy Spirit, you will be raised to new life with Christ. You'll become a new creature. You will be the caterpillar that experiences chrysalis and that morphs into butterfly. And then Paul would say, live into your new creation. How do you lean into and live into your new creation with your new capacities to live and to love? Well, one of the ways we do this, according to the text, is by embracing the fact that we are loved. In verse 12, Paul says that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And as we embrace our identity as those who are chosen and truly loved by God, we will grow in our capacity to wear Christ's clothes of love. A vast body of research, as Pastor Ashling and, and, and some of you would know, demonstrates that if a young child will experience something described as, quote, secure attachment through a warm, nurturing, and loving connection with a parent or an adult caregiver, such as a babysitter, a teacher, or a grandparent, that child 
will be more likely to form healthy attachments across their lifetime as they enter into relationships where they receive and offer love. Now, for a long time, it was thought that unless you experienced, quote, secure attachment as an infant or a very young child, it was, quote, too late. Now, obviously, it's really important for a young child to feel a sense of love and security, but we now know that from the womb to the tomb, a person can experience profound transformation and grow in their capacities to receive and offer love as they experience connection and love themselves. And so no matter what your age or stage, if you will receive Christ's love and take it in, you can experience transformation. Grow in your capacity to love. Show compassion. You can wear the clothes of his character. When we are joined to Christ, we also find that we are connected to every other human being on the planet, which in turn helps us to wear the clothes of Christ's love and compassion. In verse 11, Paul writes, Here, that is in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, barbarian or Scythian. The Scythians were considered the most uncivilized people in Paul's world. No slave or free. Paul is not saying that we don't have any distinctions anymore if we belong to Christ, but none of these differences really matter. Ruth Martin is a physician in our 10th community who is part of our 10th West Side site, which is now in Carisdale. Last Sunday, she preached what I believe was her debut sermon, and she paraphrased verse 11 for us in BC with these words. Here, there is no indigenous or non-indigenous, white or BIPOC, homeless or housed, citizen, refugee, or incarcerated, LGBTQ2S or straight, but Christ is all and is in all. We're not all the same, but as Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrased translation of verse 11, from now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. And again, it's not saying that there are no differences, but those differences don't really matter anymore because we recognize if we're in Christ, we have a common creator and that we are all loved by Christ and that connects us. There's some fascinating research that shows that if I present a photograph to you, but you can't relate to the person in the photograph, the brain scan will show that the compassion circuits just behind your forehead don't light up. But if I simply add a sentence or two that explains that this person has a common upbringing as you do, or a common educational background, or a common faith, then the scan will show that your, your compassion circuits just light up. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And when we recognize as we are joined to Christ, that we are connected to other people in the world, every other person, through a common creator, 
that we are loved by Christ, but that person is also loved by Christ, we'll realize that we're not just a, a me, but to use Dan Siegel's expression, we are also a we, we, M-W-E. We're all, we're connected, and that helps us wear the clothes of Christ's love. Layla was new to Canada a few years ago. Uh, she was literally seeking refugee uh, or a refuge here in, in Vancouver as, as, as a refugee. Uh, she had no place to live. And she, Layla was sent off to a homeless shelter. She was placed in a mixed gender dormitory that was so noisy and so full of disturbances that even in the middle of the night, she couldn't sleep. She was surrounded by illegal drugs and so she was terrified. After three weeks, she literally ran out of money, so she didn't have any money to buy food. No one seemed to care about her plight. No one offered her any guidance. Layla felt afraid and utterly alone. And then some people on our refugee ministry team here at 10th found out about her situation. Uh, and incredibly, in short order, someone here in our faith community at 10th provided a place for her to live. Ten days after she had settled into her new home, Mim Wicket, our refugee support coordinator, reached out to Layla and invited her to join her at a Christian family camp on Thetis Island, not, not far from here. Layla probably had no idea you know, what would happen at this camp, but she, she was free and she said, sure, I'll come. Well, as soon as Layla arrived at this camp, she was surrounded by a community of care. One of the families at the camp took her into their cabin, listened to her story, treated her as if she were actually part of their family. An older woman at the camp helped Layla that week overcome her fear of water, and Layla swam for the very first time in her life. A teenage boy at the camp showed Layla how to ride a bicycle. She rode a bicycle for the very first time in her life, probably for signing a liability waiver, you know. She said, I laughed a lot around the dinner tables and before the campfire, and especially while learning to line dance. And during that week, Layla said, it's like I have gone from hell to heaven on earth. When the camp was over, she went home and she told all of her fellow refugee friends about her great experience at camp. And now three years later, as Craig was saying earlier, uh, this camp, Pioneer Pacific on Thetis Island, has dedicated an entire week of camp for new Canadians like Layla. And if we want, uh, we have the privilege of helping to send some folks to camp, ideally 50 or so. And so if you want to give to that, uh, you're very welcome to do so. The people at the camp who were mostly Christian probably weren't thinking about this consciously, but because they knew that they shared a common creator with Layla who was brought up in a very different place and I can't mention the country and uh, in a very different set of circumstances. And because they knew that Christ loved them, but also Layla, uh, they were able to wear Christ's clothes of compassion and love rather unconsciously. When we are connected to Jesus Christ, we are made new creations. We become the butterfly. 
We realize that we are deeply loved and we are connected to every human being on the planet. And so we're able to more easily wear Christ's clothes of compassion and love. I mentioned the word family. For some of us, showing Christ's love and forgiveness in the context of our families is the hardest place of all. Some psychologists have observed that even if you are an adult, most people, when they are with their family of origin, become adolescents again. Even if you're an adult, if you're like most people, when you're with your family of origin, you become an adolescent again. I've certainly felt that way within my own family of origin. Now, Paul says here in verse 13, Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Not easy to do, especially in our families of origin and challenging in other contexts as well. National Public Radio, NPR, ran a moving story about a father and his son's relationship. The story really focused on David Carmichael, the son, who was 28 years old, really hostile, hadn't been back to his Christian household of origin for 10 years. So he went off to college and hadn't been back to his family of origin in about a decade. And David was finally returning back to his household because he wanted to undermine the, quote, repressive faith, or at least what he perceived to be the repressive faith of his father. And on the radio program, David said, I had all this ammunition and I couldn't wait to use it. I remember thinking, this is a showdown because my dad and I are at war. My dad didn't know this, but I was at war with him. I was at war with all Christians and I was just waiting for an excuse to have a shot. And so when my father rather innocently mentioned that he was praying about some mission work, I unleashed my fury. I just started to ramble on. And while I did this, I knew that I was essentially assaulting his dream, saying that everything he was excited about, everything that he was sharing with me was misbegotten, a bad idea, morally corrupt. And he just kind of quietly let me do my thing. Well, after... David, the son, had expended all of the rounds of ammunition that he had. His father didn't retreat. His father didn't retaliate. His father didn't even argue. He simply looked at his son, David, and said, David, I'm really proud of everything you've done. And David concluded the show by saying, I remember looking at my dad and I thought, I sort of expected to argue, you know, not to win, but to come to some kind of armistice, you know, some kind of truce. I hadn't expected to lose completely because you can't argue with decency. You can't argue with goodness. And so, here was David's dad on the receiving end of all this ammunition that was being expended. 
on the receiving end of all these explosives that were being thrown at him. And yet his father didn't retreat, didn't retaliate, didn't even argue. He was somehow able to wear Christ's clothes of love and forgiveness. Why? Because he himself had experienced Christ's love and forgiveness in his own life. In the Lord's Prayer, there is only one thing that describes something that we actually do. We pray, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we are able to forgive those who sin against us because we first have been forgiven. And so it's as we experience Christ's forgiveness that we can wear his clothes of forgiveness and love. In verse 15, Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Paul is calling us and the church at Colossae to let peace mark our relationships. Let Christ's peace be the referee that adjudicates your relationships. And then Paul says, and be thankful. And then in verse 16, a similar theme, and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So Paul says, be at peace with one another. Let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts and relationships and be thankful Sing with gratitude in your hearts to God. And the two are connected. Thanksgiving and living at peace with people are connected. I recently listened to a podcast from Hidden Brain, hosted by the Indian-born Shankar Verdantam. Shankar Verdantam was interviewing a woman from Australia named Lucy Hone. Lucy had done her graduate school, her graduate research at the University of Pennsylvania on the subject of resilience. She had returned to New Zealand, and then back in the year 2014, she and her family, along with another family, were about to take a vacation over a holiday weekend to a place called Lake Ohau in New Zealand. Lucy explains that as they were about to leave, their beautiful 12-year-old daughter named Abby said, Mom, I think I'm going to ride with my friend Ella, also 12 years old, her best friend and her mom. Abby's parents said, fine. As they were driving, Ella's mom, Ella, and Abby to Lake Ohau, there was another vehicle that was hurtling toward theirs, High speed went right through a stop sign, crashed into their vehicle, instantly killing 12-year-old Abby, her friend Ella, and Ella's mother. Well, as you can imagine, Lucy Hone, as the mother, felt profound anguish, deep grief. And even though she was an expert 
on the subject of resilience. She now found herself on the receiving end of all kinds of advice. People were saying to her, because you tragically lost your daughter, your whole family will probably now be estranged. You'll probably split up. You'll probably divorce with your husband. You're now, because of the tragic thing that happened, you're now all candidates in your family for mental illness. And you basically can write off the next five years of your life. Lucy Hone decided to ignore all of that advice. And because she had studied resilience, she said, I am going to conduct a kind of self-experiment here. She remembered that resilient people have this habit of focusing in on the good in their lives. They have rhythms to seek out the gifts in their life and they give thanks. So Lucy thought to herself, I've just lost my daughter. This is horrific. What good could there be in my life? And she thought about it, thought about it. And she said to herself, at least my daughter didn't die this prolonged, agonizingly long filled with suffering kind of death. She died instantly. She, she, she basically didn't suffer. And she thought, we have lost a treasure in our lives, but in the wake of our great loss, we've experienced so much love and support from our friends and our family. We have two beautiful boys. And she learned to focus on the good. In fact, she got a large uh, card uh, sheet, hot pink in color, and wrote, on the sheet with a magic marker, accept the good, accept the good. That became her mantra. She was reminded during this time that when she was at the University of Pennsylvania, her professors had won a contract to train 1.1 million soldiers in the U.S. Army to become as mentally fit as they were physically fit. And these soldiers, she said, were really cynical. They didn't want to be part of some psychological experiment, but they were eventually won over, and they began to chant, hunt the good stuff, hunt the good stuff, hunt the good stuff. And, and, and that's what Lucy was doing. And you can hunt the good stuff, even in the midst of real suffering and loss. Jane Kenyon was a great poet. She suffered from leukemia and at the relatively young age of 47, not long before she died, she wrote this poem called Otherwise. Here it is. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning I did work I love. At noon I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. Even in her very real suffering, Jane Kenyon found ways to see the gifts in her life and give thanks. 
Thanksgiving matters, first and foremost, because God is worthy of our thanks. But Thanksgiving also matters insofar as our relationships are concerned because when we give thanks, we are filled with gratitude. When we are filled with gratitude, we are joyous people. And that fosters peace in our relationships. You've probably heard the phrase, hurt people hurt, hurt people hurt others. We've observed that unhappy people make others unhappy because emotions are contagious. But the converse is also true. Thankful people, grateful people experience joy. And as a result, there is peace, generally speaking, in their relationships. Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, on heavenly realities, on God's realities. But you do not need to die in order to experience heaven's realities. You don't need to die in order to experience Christ's clothes of love. Christ, Jesus Christ was stripped of his clothes and then hung on a cross so that we might be clothed in his garments of love. If you join your life to Jesus Christ, you will become a new creation, the butterfly. You will know that you are deeply loved. You will know that you are connected to every person on the planet and that you are forgiven. And out of a heart of great gratitude, each morning, you will be able to put on the clothes of Christ's love. Let's pray together. In the presence of God's spirit who is here, perhaps you would want to speak to God to pray. Maybe you would want to simply say thank you. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for making me your loved one. Maybe some of you would pray, help me believe that I am chosen and loved. Thank you. Perhaps you would also pray, Jesus Christ, clothe me with your garment of love. Put your garment of love on me now and each day. And finally, if you've been hurt by someone, wronged by someone, perhaps you would want to pray with God's help. I forgive and then name that person. I forgive even as I have been forgiven. Don't want to force this if you're not quite ready, but if you feel like you'd like to do this with God's help, you can say, Father, I forgive and then name the person or perhaps the situation. even as I have been forgiven. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus who has us covered. Amen.